not only just breaking down the stigma of like, we don't need help, but also who do you most often see being represented as a therapist? Mm. Not people that look like me and you. Hundred <laughs> percent, and that's and that is really important. When and and because you're talking about making a really really big leap in your ideals, and it helps when you see somebody that looks like you who can help you through that to say, I know where you're coming from because my family felt the same way or I felt the same way. You have this shared bond, and I feel like a lot of the time, again, especially in media. We don't see people of color as therapists, you know, counselors, anything, doctors, psychiatrists, <laughs> any of these things, you don't see people of color being represented as. And I think Welcome back to another episode of Coats and Conversation, where we have conversations centered around lifestyle, mental health, and educational topics. I'm your host, Kendrick Coates. We have a fascinating and amazing episode today. But before we get started, be sure to go out and like and subscribe to the YouTube page. You can type in Coats in Conversation. You can follow us on Apple and Spotify podcast by typing in Coats in Conversation or wherever you find your podcast or wherever you listen to your podcast. Today, I've got one of my good friends on here and I met this individual and the first conversation I had with her, I was just like, man, she's got so much energy. She's got so much excitement. Somewhat reminded me a little bit of myself when I was younger. And I started thinking about it more in some of the conversations that we were in. I was like, you've got to be on my podcast. And so this individual, um, she's an Auburn University undergrad, um, majoring human development and family sciences, specifically in family studies. And she's also a part of the Auburn marching band. Gabriella Jackson, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing good. I was, I remember our very first conversation, we were having it in, and for the folks that aren't familiar, um, at Auburn University, we have the, the marriage and family therapy clinic, and uh, we were in one of our computer rooms, our coding rooms, and I met Gabriella, and I remember the first conversation we had, and I don't know if you remember it, but me just being goofy and joking and not a hundred percent direct and so you're just like kind of rolled your eyes you're like dude like what <laughs> but um but it was it was fun just the interaction that we had and I think we had talked about marriage and family therapy and some of your future goals and so um before we get started I sometimes like to do a mental health check-in so how are you doing today mentally uh, I'm to be completely honest, I'm a little stressed. <laughs> I have an essay that's due tonight. Um, and I haven't gotten very far into it. So I feel your pain. <laughs> stressed, but outside of that, I'm doing well. How are you? I, I can't complain. Um, I'm stressed as well because I've got some essays coming up. Um, I'm curious, how long are your essays or how long is your essay that you have due? Uh, this one is five pages. Okay. Single space or mm -hmm. double spaced? Double. Okay, good. Because I was going to say, whoever assigns you a <laughs> yeah. single-spaced essay, we're going to have to have a talk with that professor. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank you for taking the time to coming on to the podcast. I know when we were um, talking before we actually started, I think 90% of the conversation was us just laughing, which I think <laughs> when we first met, that's how it was too, just like joking mm -hmm. and, and laughing. And it's says a lot about you. You've got a good personality. Um, the conversations that we were in, you were able to, it was a two-way street and I'm sure you've dealt with it before when you're in conversation with somebody and it's just like one side and you're like, okay, like person, whoever you're talking to talk, like add something to the conversation. So I think today's going to be a great conversation. Just talking about some of your experiences transitioning from high school to college and then talking about 
mental health and COVID. So the mm -hmm. first question that I have for you, uh, we often hear about the excitement of many students transitioning from high school to college. What were some of the most significant differences you experienced in transitioning from high school to college academically and socially? I think I'll start academically. Um, when you're in high school, there's a lot of guidance, right? Like you have homeworks due pretty much every night. Your teachers are constantly reminding you of like when things are due. I just feel like there's a lot more structure. When you're in a college, <laughs> a lot of it is on you. And I came in during COVID. And so all of my classes were online. Some of them were asynchronous. So it was really on you to plan out how you were going to study, when you were going to complete assignments. And it's not like your professors were telling you, you know, every day, hey, this is due. Hey, you know, we didn't have homework. It was, it was very much on you. So I think that was probably the biggest transition academically. And then socially, when, and I feel like it's kind of the same as like academically, it's really on you. When you're in high school, you've probably been around these people since elementary school, middle school, you know them. Um, and then you're in these classes with them every single day versus when you're in college and it's like, okay, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday. Um, when you're in college, there's just a lot more pressure to go out and actually seek friendships and things like that because it's not like oh I'm turning to my friend in class and we're just talking like maybe you do in high school <laughs> and especially for more rigorous majors you know like engineering you don't have time to turn and talk to the people next to you um so you really have to go out and be intentional about the friends that you're making the circles that you're around you know there are over thousands and thousands of students at Auburn all of these different clubs, so many ways to divide your time. So even though there are so many people, it can be really easy to just get wrapped up into your work and forget to like, okay, pause. There are all these people. I can join clubs. I can do all of these things. It's just really on you to be forward in that. And I'm sure there's a stressor that comes with all, all of that because like you said, being in high school, things for lack of better words or terms, but we're spoon fed to us when we're in high school. And then mm -hmm. we're just thrown off into the deep end transitioning into college. And it's like, wait, my professor didn't tell me something was due on this date or because we have to go by what is on the syllabus sometimes. But I'm kind of curious to know when you, when you did transition into, from an academic standpoint, from high school to college, did you feel that you were ready for the rigor of the program or the coursework that you were given versus when you were in high school? I do feel like I was ready. Um, a lot. I took a lot of AP classes in high school, so it, I was kind of already expected to do more work. And so from that standpoint of like my actual coursework, I felt prepared. Now, time management, that's <laughs> another thing. <laughs> Definitely did not feel as prepared for that. Um, but in terms of the coursework, yeah, I feel like my high school really, really prepared me well. Hey, you're better than me because that time management, I still struggle with time management just because I always say I'm I'm a squirrel. I kind of get distracted by many things. And, and so there, I've got to be diligent about how I'm structuring my time in my day. Are there things that you do that help you or that you've done that have helped you uh, better prioritize your time now that you're in college? Oh, absolutely. And it was something that I had to learn coming out of my freshman year being COVID. Everything was so unorganized. There was no structure. And so I really found that kind of in my later years of college, really setting a plan for myself. Like, I'm going to wake up at the same time every day. Uh, once I do that, this is what I'm going to do. After my class, I have this break, you know, like, what am I going to do during that time? How am I going to fit going to the gym? 
volunteering, doing all of these things, I really had to schedule it out like this time, this time, this time, this time, which is difficult to maintain because like at the beginning of the semester, I really thought I had a plan. And I was like, <laughs> that's going to be my plan. And then I started adding all of these things to my plan. And I was like, wait, like, <laughs> so many things are changing now. But definitely just being consistent. And that's really difficult to do. But I think having that structured, like I can visually see it on my calendar really helps. So how about, you know, college? There's all sorts of things that are going on parties, mm -hmm. this, that, and the other. I've got to ask you, how has it been with those type kinds of temptations? How have you been able to still maintain your focus while your friends are like, hey, there's a party going on in this day, this day, this day. And yeah, those things are fun because it's, you know, our social time kind of to unwind and get away from some of the work. So how have you still maintained that focus and you have all of these other external um, distractions going on around you. Mm -hmm. I am, and like I said at the very beginning, I have an essay that's due today. So I could have <laughs> planned it out. I could have. And sometimes I just, I work in that, in that crunch zone. So sometimes I am like, okay, I can't, you know, I just have to say no. But then other times I'm like, this is something that I know I really enjoy. For example, a lot of coffee shops have like local music or like live music happening. Um, and so I'll make time to go do that because I know it's something that I'm really going to enjoy. It's an experience that I want to have. Um, and then just being like, okay, if I'm going to do this, then again, going back to that calendar, I have to see, okay, well, when am I going to do this? If this is due, you know, on Monday, I got to get it done. Um, so definitely being like okay I know when I need to say no but also not just entirely shutting you know all of that stuff mm -hmm. out yeah. my grandma always talks about she oh, literally every time I talk to her on the phone she's like well did you stop and smell the roses you got to take time to smell the roses and mm -hmm. it's it's so difficult sometimes and I've been around you enough and you've also mentioned in high school you were taking AP courses to where mm -hmm. I think for people that are driven and want to accomplish a lot of things in life, it is difficult to kind of step back from work and enjoy life. And so mm -hmm. that is something that I don't think is talked about enough to where we need to just slow down and enjoy life. Because if we are so grounded into our work and we're so attached to our work, then five, 10, 15 years goes by and we're just like, where where the heck did life go? So I'm mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear that you do take time to enjoy life, or as my grandma says, you stop to smell the roses because those are important, especially when it from a mental health standpoint, mm -hmm. we do need those type of experiences of being around other people and and enjoying just the different activities that that Auburn has. Um, so when you transitioned, you know, going from high school to college. I'm interested, have you looked back and have you questioned, you know, whether or not you should have prepared in one area, whether that be, I know you mentioned time management or from an academic standpoint, I'm curious to know if, you, if there was one thing that you could change, what do you think you would have prepared more on so you had a smoother transition into college? I think definitely learning how to be an independent. And this kind of goes back to my, you know, what I had said about things are very uh, planned out and structured in high school and they really guide you. And when you're going through life and your parents are making these, not making decisions for you, but, you know, they're helping you plan out these things. Once you get to college, it's like you're there. I'm out of state. So I was really, and I didn't know anybody coming into college that, you know, that was going to Auburn. So I was really just on my own. And I think I've done well so far, but definitely in the beginning, just learning how to, yeah, time manage, how to really be confident in being independent, because there is a lot of insecurity around like, am I ready for this? Can I handle this? Am I mature enough for this? 
And I think once you're put in that situation, you really just have to like step up to the plate and say, I'm in control of my life. And so I think that, yeah, like if there's any one thing, I feel like it would just be to have a little bit more confidence and like, I can, I can show up independently. That independence part, that's powerful because I'm, I'm thinking of a, <laughs> I'm thinking of a friend when we were first in college and he didn't know how to make macaroni and cheese, the box. Do you remember the macaroni and cheese? And I'm like, dude. and he's like, where do I put the cheese? And I'm like, dude, what? Like the cheese, do you know how to read the instructions? And so, and so having, when you say having the confidence in yourself and that you can do the work and being independent, I think that's powerful because similar to a bird or, or some species of birds where the bird is born and then basically how the bird learns how to fly is just kind of going. There's no, you know, instruction manual on how to fly. There, are, There's not an instruction manual on how to be independent in college because it just mm -hmm. is thrown on you. And so there's, I don't know if there's a, a way to create that independence, maybe in high school, having a little bit more responsibility. I don't know. I, I think everybody's situation is different, but I'm glad that you said that because there are many students that, you know, from high school and then transition into college. And it's like, where do, where do I even begin on, from the standpoint of finding my circle and finding my group of people mm -hmm. that are similar to me and professors do um, do a good job at letting us know what kind of groups and clubs are there but having again going back to what you said having the confidence to actually put yourself out there and meeting a new friend mm -hmm. group it's like whoa this is overwhelming I'm just gonna stay at home and watch Netflix which yeah. you know there's a time and place for that but again going back to human beings needing this that sense of community and being able to communicate with other people and so many students do talk about the importance of finding community which helps them feel comfortable and supported talk to us about how band because i know you mentioned you're 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 involved in band tell us how band has helped you become more comfortable adapting to the new college environment so again my freshman year COVID. So everything, everything was different. Um, there was no band camp to kind of like help you kind of get into like, okay, these are the people and everything. It was like the first day of practice was the first day you were meeting all those people. So I, it, it was very overwhelming. And a lot of the veterans who had been there, they didn't talk to the freshmen. So it was difficult I think finding a community within that because it was very it felt very isolating but I was very glad that we were still able to be at football games and kind of get that sense of the Auburn spirit which I feel like is a very very big thing um, at this university so that was really cool and then also I had met a few people and had a little friend group from band. Um, and I'm extremely fortunate for that because I know that not everybody feels, you know, comfortable in every single space. So I was really glad that I was able to like find a few people and they really, really helped me feel comfortable. And I met them through bands. Mm -hmm. So how does, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe I'm naive, but how does band work in, during COVID? Like, were you all still meeting? Was it, what did y'all do? Or was it, were y'all coming out of COVID and being able to be around people? Explain that to me. So the band, they took many precautions for COVID. Uh, the first was that, well, the normal band size is about 380. And they split that in half, two half bands that practiced on alternate days of the week. When we were there, we had playing masks, which were just masks with a little flap, mm. <laughs> which is very <laughs> difficult, but <laughs> we had those. Um, and then during football games, we were socially distanced in the stands. Um, and yeah, 
those were the main those were the main precautions and even when we were doing a uh, drill on the field which is like the movements that we do we were socially distanced in that so they really did try their best to make it as close to a normal experience but it you know it didn't really feel like that but they did do a really good job i felt did any of those precautionary measures that they took did it change or alter the way you all interacted as a group so i'm thinking you know if we take a football team or a basketball team each individual on that team has a responsibility and there's a specific dynamic to where y'all are reading off of each other and kind of reading off of each other's vibe to know what kind of movements and what kind of things to switch into was were there anything or were there things that had happened during that socially distanced period that changed the dynamics of the band absolutely and I didn't have the privilege of having been there before COVID and then after. But now that things have kind of gotten back to where they used to be, I can clearly see that difference. During my freshman year, we were not connected at all. Like I said, like the veteran, they didn't talk to the freshmen. There was no cohesion. It was like you showed up, you did practice, and then you left. There wasn't a lot of time for socializing and mingling and um, so it definitely felt like you were just there doing the thing and then you left versus now um, having band camp and having practice every day and being able to talk to them. It really does make you feel like, OK, I'm in this family. You can feel it. And then having like full game day experiences and just seeing how everybody loves the band. And like my freshman year, we just didn't have that. And so it definitely felt just a lot more disconnected, really. Yeah, and that's something that I've heard from other folks as well um, in the sports world to where there is just the disconnect. There's mm -hmm. not that cohesion that typical teams or groups have when you have to be socially distanced or you can't pick up on facial expressions or micro expressions of people when they have masks on, which is, makes it extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the other thing, too, is I think being able to see how things were before and then seeing how they are now, I'm sure there's this new energy and excitement of being able to not or mainly mainly not having to think about all of these things that you have to, um, I guess, take into consideration. And it's just like y'all are there. You're a family. Mm -hmm. There's this energy. There's this flow, which I'm sure it makes it a lot better on on game day as well. So we've we have talked about transitioning to college and being involved in band. How was your mental health during that period, especially dealing with COVID and the new norm of communicating with people virtually or from a distance? During COVID or especially that quarantine period, honestly, I wasn't doing too bad. I know a lot of people um, can't say the same, but I really didn't feel super sad or extremely isolated. Once I got to college though, um, and like I had kind of said earlier, I had made this little friend group and I think everything was going well until that friend group kind of fizzled out. And I really realized I don't have a community here. Mm. And I think that was really when things started to go downhill because during that time you had to keep your circles tight just out of your own safety um and I had just realized I had gotten so comfortable and just being around the same few people all the time that once I didn't have that anymore I realized I hadn't established the skills necessary to actually be independent and go out there and like create a social sphere for myself and I think that was very, that felt very isolating, especially, you know, being in a new place and then being like, oh, I thought that I had this whole network and now I don't. Mm. So, yeah. Was there any type of, I'm curious to know, was there any type of anxiety or um, 
maybe I don't want to call it depression, but what feelings did you have when you learned that you didn't have a community? Because I think I think it's important to ask that question because as we start getting into this topic of mental health, I think there are certain things that many of us feel, but we don't know how to express it and we don't know how to define it or explain it. So what specific feelings did you have when you knew or you found out that you didn't have the skills to make those connections with people because of this period of COVID? I definitely did feel anxious. And that was something that I had felt even during the marching band season of just being like, wow, I used to be like super outgoing and now I'm here and I can't even talk to anybody, you know, like I'm just here by myself. And that was just, I just, just really sad because I knew that I wasn't like that, mm. um, you know, before. And then also just, do I have the capabilities to do this? I think there was a lot of self-doubt in my ability to go out there and kind of do that, you know, to go out and really put myself out there. So there was a lot of anxiety and there was also a lot of me having to go out and just do that, you know, me just going up to people, <laughs> just being like, hey. That doesn't surprise me at all, given your personality. <laughs> no, really. Um, like I had made a friend in the line at Chick-fil-A because I was like, I, I need, I need, I need friends. But it definitely felt, um, yeah, I definitely was just very anxious. I had a lot of self-doubt, I feel like was was really the the biggest thing. How is it now that we've kind of passed I don't know if it's we're completely out of COVID. I think it's a thing now, but how is your how are those feelings changed from then to now? Oh, they've definitely gotten so much better. Like, um, I it's just been really amazing being able to put myself in different areas. One, like band, all of us becoming a lot stronger. But then I was also like I joined choir. And so it was really great to meet people there and and it just, I think I had a lot more confidence in my ability to have friends, make friends, and just to put myself out there because the space, the environment was set up for that now, you know, like being able to be a part of clubs, not feeling like, oh, I need to socially distance, you know, feeling like it's okay to interact with people and to just like really get back into that. So it's just been a lot better. I'm glad to hear that just because I know how one difficult it is to, especially from the standpoint of us being more extroverted and mm -hmm. just talking to people anywhere and everywhere, how easy it can be for us, but it can be difficult for others that don't have that same personality or don't have the same confidence or courage to just talk to people. And so hearing that you're back to your normal self or a newer version of yourself that you are more confident, you're independent, you can talk to people um, wherever and anywhere, whether they're strangers or reconnecting with friends. Um, because again, I go back to being able to be a part of a community and being able to interact with other people. That, that in and of itself is so important for our mental health. So I, I know the hard part about finding or getting mental health is overcoming the mental health stigma. Mm -hmm. So since being around the Auburn Marriage and Family Therapy Clinic, how has your perception of mental health changed from when you were in high school versus now? It has changed so much. <laughs> I grew up in a household where seeking therapy was seen as a uh, like you're weak for, you know, seeking that. Um, and so I definitely had that stigma of like, well, I don't need therapy. You know, that's not for me. That's for those people over there. Um, and then when I started doing the practicum working at the MFT clinic and we were watching these therapy sessions and I just fell in love and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm able to see magic happening. And especially with Dr. Ketring, the way that he would come into sessions and, and really change people's mindsets. And it was so amazing to see their progress week after week after week. But I was still thinking, that's not for me. <laughs> that's not for me. And and 
I had to get to a point where I was like, why? I've seen the magic. So why do I still feel this way? And I think part of it was just having to let go of this ego that I'm better than that, that I can, you know, get better on my own because it takes a village. It takes a community. And I was so used to not talking about my own mental health, not talking about my fears, my anxieties, insecurities that I just kind of felt like, "Mm, I just got to suck it up. But um, after just like being in the practicum and talking to other friends about mental health, I was like, okay, I need to take the leap. I, I need to take the leap. And so I did. And I got counseling services and I found it to be very beneficial and I think very relieving that I was able to step foot into a new environment after I had spent so much of my life feeling like this isn't for me, that I don't need it, you know. And a lot of the time in in media, it isn't seen as appealing. I, I think now, like in more recent years, okay, it's been a little bit more like, hey, this is good. But I think before recently, it was definitely seen as cold and distant. Like you're watching a movie and the therapist is just like, okay, so tell me, how does that make you feel? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I feel so, you know, like, do you even care about me? Um, and so I think something really good is that um, we've definitely been shifting the conversation. And I think just we've been able to have talking about mental health be more accepted. And just the idea of what does therapy even look like? Because I think even within my own family, part of the stigma came from not understanding what therapy actually looks like. Mic drop right there. This podcast is over. Hey, folks, we'll see you next week. (laughs) Wow. I don't think I could have put it in better words. You literally, wow. That was... um, I don't usually, I'm not usually lost for words, but oh. how you spoke about that. And the main thing that really connected with me is what does therapy look like? And mm. a lot of people have this misconception of therapy being, you know, you go into the therapist's room, the therapist has a notepad and a pen, you lie on this couch and you're just interrogated with questions. That is mm-hmm. not what mental health or that is not what therapy is. And when you say you were able to see the magic and see the progress and seeing people change, understanding that each of us is at a different phase of our life or in our journey of improving our mental health. And mm-hmm. so going back to that point that you made is what does mental health or what does therapy look like? And it can look like it can look different for many people. But what I want people to take from this conversation is that you do not have to have or you do not have to be diagnosed with a problem to seek Mm -hmm. out mental health Mm -hmm. or mental health. You don't have to have a crisis going on in your life to get a therapist. You don't have to have issues in your marriage or relationship to seek out therapy. And I think a lot of times what people think of therapy as, well, everything's just a catastrophe in my life. It's time to go now, which is, I personally don't advise people to, to, to wait until then. Be proactive in making your relationships more healthy. Be proactive of making your life more peaceful and happy by dealing with some of the things that we go through in our lives. And the other piece that you said, or that you mentioned is that you kind of were like turned off to the idea of therapy. And do you think that it's not specifically you, but just our community, individuals of color, that we have that same mindset, because that's the message that typically spread amongst us in our community? Mm, absolutely. Um, and I think that even, I guess I'm going to just go back a little bit. We didn't have the time, the resources to be able to prioritize that. Especially being in this country, you know, and there wasn't a lot of like, oh, 
let's hear about your feelings and you matter as a person, you know, (laughs) that was, we were not cared about in that kind of way. And so there was very much a survival mindset first, like you just need to suck it up and you need to go out there and just live your life because nobody has time to hear about that, you know, because they're not, the, the space wasn't there for us to show up and be like, Hey, I have problems and that's okay. And I need help working through them. And so I think something that has been really amazing is just seeing like the space is there and you don't have to continue living in this survival mindset. And yet, and I really, really loved what you said about, you don't need to just like be in a crisis to go to therapy because a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people are like, oh, well, I'm, you know, there are people who are dealing with more serious things than me. So what I'm going through really doesn't matter. It's like it does for your own livelihood, you know, for your sense of well-being. It is important that you talk about these things because why should you have to just bury it within yourself? What are the benefits of doing that when there are resources available now for you, you know? Um, But it is scary. I know it was scary for me to step outside of that mindset, especially when it's generational. Um, Mm -hmm. That plays a huge, a huge difference in just being able to. And then also, you know, what is your family going to think? Societal pressure when you're like, I want to do this thing, but they might view me as weak for doing it. How do you just say, this is what I'm going to do for myself, you know? That takes a lot of bravery and a lot of courage. Generational trauma. And a lot of us don't even see the generational trauma that we've inherited from our parents, grandparents, our ancestor, ancestors. And I always say that mental health is a silent killer mm-hmm. because the more and more we suppress our emotions, and I think Dr. Gabor Mate Um, has spoken about this, but the more and more we suppress our emotions and what we're feeling, those things eventually show up and oftentimes as chronic illness. And so Mm -hmm. the things we go through in life may be a product of the trauma that we've either inherited or that we've gone through. Mm -hmm. And being able to, as people, be open about getting help. And in our community, Far too often we have this mentality. One, and I like what you said. One is from a we always we move sometimes from a survival standpoint instead of living and moving as thriving people. Mm-hmm. But then secondly, getting out of our own way and being able to just push our ego aside, like you said earlier, and say, Hey, I need help because X, Y, and Z aren't going as I like them to go, whether that be relationships, whether that be how you address stress or respond to stress. We're guilty from the standpoint of showing up for other people with an empty glass. Hmm. I want to say that one more time. Many times in our community, we are guilty of showing up for other people with an empty glass. And we have to ask ourselves, if we're showing up with an empty glass, Who's helping us replenish or refill our cup? And if we can't answer that question, we have to, yes, and I'm going to say this, we have to be selfish with our time, with our space, and with our mental health. Because if we're not selfish with those things, then our mental health takes a backseat and then we're not showing up for people, especially when they need us. And especially Mm -hmm. if we are parents and have children, I understand that our children, and for those that have children, those are important pieces of our family. But the question I often ask is this, if you're struggling to the point where you can't keep yourself together for a whole week, how do you think you're showing up for your children or your friends or your loved ones if you don't have the capacity to show up for anybody? Better yet, you can't show up for yourself. So I went on a little bit of a tangent because these things are just, I see so many people struggle and people are just like, well, I don't need a counselor. I don't need a therapist. 
which that may be the best step that we can possibly take for our life and to ensure that our future is greater than our past. Yeah. And can I add something? I think that not only just breaking down the stigma of like, we don't need help, but also who do you most often see being represented as a therapist? Mm. Not people that look like me and you. Hundred <laughs> percent, and that's and that is really important. When and and because you're talking about making a really really big leap in your ideals, and it helps when you see somebody that looks like you who can help you through that to say, I know where you're coming from because my family felt the same way or I felt the same way. You have this shared bond, and I feel like a lot of the time, again, especially in media. We don't see people of color as therapists, you know, counselors, anything, doctors, psychiatrists, <laughs> any of these things you don't see people of color being represented as. And I think that is something that turns people away from the idea of seeking mental health services because you're like, well, you don't understand me. And that's not to say that somebody who isn't their same race or ethnicity won't understand them. But I think if you're already um, turned off by the idea of going to therapy, I think having someone that looks like you is really important in helping you through that transition. You hit it right on the head. And I'm glad you mentioned that piece because even from my own journey of mental health, my first two therapists did not look like me, but they were a gateway. They basically opened up the door for me to be open to more broader ideas and perspectives within mental health. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, there are times in those sessions where it's just like, you don't understand me. And that's fine, but there are things that we can at least make one step forward instead of just sit, sitting and just waiting for things to change. And I think that's mm -hmm. what a lot of people do is they just wait and for things to change and then things never happen. And then it's still, you know, five years from now, some people are still in that same boat of just denial that they need help or, you know, relationships aren't going how they want to. So I'm glad you brought up that piece. I'm curious to know, because I know you mentioned that your interest after undergrad is marriage and family therapy. What motivated you or what has pushed you in that direction? So actually it was um, my senior year of high school and me and my dad were taking a really long drive and we started talking about just our family. And I was just, I don't know, it was one of the, when we, it was something we talked about a lot, but in this particular conversation, I was just talking about how much family impacts you as an individual in your own development. And I was like, wow, I think it really is important, you know, to have healthy, you know, to see healthy relationships, to be in a healthy family. And it was really in that conversation that I knew, okay, I really want to help people. And more specifically, I want to help relationships, whether that be, you know, couples or families. And honestly, I didn't really know what to do with that. I was like, well, I know that, but you know, like, where do I go from here? Um, and then I found out about, you know, marriage and family therapy. And I was like, well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and then just um, joining the practicum, the spring semester of my freshman year, that was really the time when, again, I solidified like, okay. This is what I want to do because I was able to see how much it benefited people and being able to learn from Dr. Ketchering was a huge, huge part of that as well. I was learning more about how to be a therapist than I would in any of my classes. Hmm. And so it, it was just amazing hearing from an expert, a real expert, you know, just like how much thought goes into being a therapist, how many tact and, you know, we're coding therapist behaviors. And so you really had to sit there and be, you know, had your listening ears on. <laughs> Are they doing this? Are they saying this? Oh, 
they missed an opportunity to validate their client, you know, just like, I just really started learning about all of the little intricacies of being a therapist. And I just really fell in love with it. Hmm. That makes me, (laughs) makes my, (laughs) I want to say it makes my heart melt, but it makes my, it makes me have hope for the future, especially therapists of color. As we mentioned earlier, there aren't a lot of us in this space. And knowing you and the conversations we had, I know without a doubt, you're going to be an amazing therapist. Um, and so I know we were kind of running short on time. I wanted We could probably talk for three hours, really. Um, but there was a point you made earlier that I didn't ask you about this so you went to therapy what specifically did you learn about yourself once you went to therapy and was it something that you had an idea of or was it something through conversation with a therapist they were able to help you see you know that specific thing (laughs) uh I I think something that I did really learn was one that I am capable of making change. And I think that that's something a lot of us have a really hard time getting through our head. We kind of think, but this is just the way it's always going to be. And something that I really learned was that it isn't, you know, you have the power to guide your life. And that was something that being at that time I was 18 or 19, it's it's really hard concept, you know, you're you feel so young um and you feel like more things are out of your control than they than they actually are. And so that was I think something that I've really learned about myself is that I am capable. I want to take a, a second to acknowledge the fact that you took the step into going to see a therapist and I want to acknowledge and give you your kudos and um, your flowers as some people say for being vulnerable and opening opening up about your own mental health experiences whether that be through covid before covid and now after covid and so i think that these conversations are so important especially in our community because there 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 are more people talking about it now But I think the more and more we can continue having these conversations, the better it is for the people that are on the fence about whether or not they should seek a therapist, seek out a therapist. But I think it also brings light to whether you're in a marriage and family therapy program or thinking about a marriage and family therapy program, it sheds light that, and you said it perfectly, that you are capable. I think in these spaces, it can be extremely uh, daunting to think about the idea of going into a master's program to be a therapist, because people don't have this idea and don't have enough knowledge or information sometimes of what therapy actually is. So we need to continue having these conversations. So as we wrap up the conversation, what is one piece of advice you would give a high school student or a band member who is potentially considering band in college so that's my first question and then my second question is what advice would you give somebody who is potentially on the fence about seeking or or getting a therapist so to answer the first question I would say absolutely go for it (laughs) it's going to be different from high school um Absolutely. But I will say that is extremely beneficial. I think it gives you a lot of um, time to kind of sort out time management. Like we talked about earlier, it really forces you because you have a lot more responsibility. And I know that for me, I was spending most of my time in band around band people. Um, And so I really had to kind of sort that out. But I would say it's an amazing experience. Absolutely should go for it. I loved it. Um, and then moving on to your second question, I would say, don't be afraid. I would say, don't be afraid. Um, it can be very scary to, again, drop your ego 
and say, this is something that I need to do, but I don't think that it makes you any more weak. I feel like it's actually, it makes you stronger to know that you know when you need other people to help you, professionals to help you, not just, oh, I talked to my best friend, you know, <laughs> but you actually talk to somebody who, who has the knowledge. Um, and I, yeah, I would just say, don't be afraid and that it's a lot more beneficial than you might realize. Gabriella, again, I've got to give you your flowers and give you just, I'm so proud to have friends that are willing to have conversations like these ones. Mm -hmm. I'm confident that the future of marriage and family therapy is going to be uh, well represented by more individuals of color as we continue to have these conversations. But I am just excited to see you grow in this space because again, in all of our conversations that we've had, you're just so authentic. You bring so much energy and so much passion, but you are just, you're you. There's no facade, there's no mask that you're putting on. And you're just, you're legitimately you, Gabriella Jackson. And so I thank you again for being vulnerable and having this conversation with me. I think it's so important in our community. And so as we wrap up today, um, thank you again for coming on to this uh, Coats and Conversation to have this conversation with me. Um, anybody who is listening, for those that are on YouTube, obviously you've got the visual, the video, share this conversation, share this episode sure. with somebody who may benefit from this conversation, who may be on the fence about mental health. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, I encourage you to share this conversation with somebody that may benefit. As we continue having these conversations around mental health, it is extremely important that one, we make sure that we are in a space of our own that has community and support. There are many of these topics that come up that can be triggering for some people. And if they are, that may be a sign that you may want to seek out mental health from a counselor or a therapist. Again, Gabriella Jackson, I appreciate you coming on, Coats in Conversation. For those who are listening and watching, I appreciate you for taking the time for to having or listening to this awesome conversation. Again, be sure to share this episode with somebody that you think can benefit and be on the lookout for more episodes like this coming soon.